0: This episode is brought to you by Lifetime's Robin Roberts presents Mahalia. From executive producers Robin Roberts and Linda Berman comes the biopic of the legendary Mahalia Jackson. Grammy Award winner Daniel Brooks stars as the trailblazer whose music moved, inspired, and changed people's hearts. Critics have praised Brooks's transformative performance into The Queen of Gospel as thunderingly good. Directed by Kenny Leon and written by Bettina Jillowah and Todd Kreidler, this Lifetime original movie continues to inspire viewers and highlights the ongoing fight for social justice. Robin Roberts presents Mahalia for your Emmy consideration in all categories. Hello everyone, welcome to another episode of Deadline's New Hollywood Podcast. My name is Dino Ray Ramos.
1: And I'm Amanda Nduka. and so for this episode we have the David Oyelowo, um, the director of he. So he directed his first uh, film, The Waterman, which is a it's a movie about this this little boy who basically um, his mom is sick, and he basically goes on this just journey to find this mythical waterman because he believes this waterman has magical healing powers. Um, yeah. So and we compared it like we you know he uh, David talks about how he sort of like um, pulls from like classic adventure. Sci-fi like
0: Spielbergian kind of right. stuff like, he talked about gun- the knees
1: was, was a big a big inspiration for him um yeah and you know obviously we know David from Selma I mean he's done a whole bunch of things yeah and but you know and
0: he's super talented yeah. and oh he also stars in the, uh, the movie right. as well right. Right. Uh, alongside yeah. Rosario Dawson uh right shout sure out well. to her <laughs> but uh, no, I I I love like kind of the fantasy and adventure of it all, and um, I just think David is is pretty dope. I mean, yeah. he, he, he's really funny too. He called me out on a couple things during this
1: episode,
0: <laughs> but that's okay because of David Oyelowo, yeah. <laughs> and yeah, it was all in good fun. Right. Um, right but yeah.
1: yeah. Um, and the movie the movie will be out. The movie's out now, and I and I believe um um. It, it, I think it's going to be available Netflix yeah it's
0: going to I think it's going to be theatrical and then right. it's going to be available on VOD after
1: yeah that. yeah and I know Netflix has the international rights so for for our international listeners listeners um, you can just shout out to our international. shout out to our international <laughs> listeners um but yeah you guys David is great I mean we I know I, I always feel like I, do I like when I say people are great do it do, does it sound genuine because I'm like I honestly believe you think yeah you do
0: okay, I think good. well I think well all of our guests are great. Great yeah. because otherwise we wouldn't have wouldn't
1: them be on. on yes, <laughs> but David is oh. especially, yeah. He's doing great things for, for 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 us and representation and for the Nigerians out here in this business. Shout out to all the Nigerians that are doing we, great things in mean, entertainment. Yeah, we
0: got we got a lot and of Nigerians yeah. at this point. We'll let you know who they are later, guys. Yeah, but. <laughs> it's
1: exciting, guys. Yeah, it's it's really exciting. Um yeah, so without further ado, here is David.
0: I, I, I missed the baptism yesterday, but I didn't even realize that there was a whole red carpet extravaganza. I mean, I saw Ye Yun's acceptance speech, which I thought was amazing.
2: Yeah, I, 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 I presented to her. <laughs> yeah, I and, saw that. Uh, yeah, yeah. You know, I, I she's right. By the <laughs> way, uh, I am I am proudly snobbish, Um uh, but I'm just it was just nice to have it called out on on, on screen. Um, but
0: there, but there was something so endearing how she said it. She was, it was just like so,
2: like,
1: "Oh, you're right."
2: I know. <laughs> uh, yeah, so matter of fact,
1: you Human. know, when you, you have like these aunties that can pretty much say like whatever. No, mean, like, <laughs> he was like,
2: basically an auntie. She was all, "You're snobbish,"
1: all. but thank you. <laughs> <laughs>
2: Yeah. But can you imagine gifting someone a BAFTA and then they turn around and basically cuss you out? I mean, <laughs> yeah.
1: just like, I, I feel like that's what my aunties would do.
2: <laughs> yeah. They're like, oh,
1: well, you gave me this
0: BAFTA, but it's kind of not shiny. You know, right? I don't know what y'all, this looks like trash, not but I, thanks. Okay. Yeah. 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 Yeah, that was, yeah,
1: that was really cool. Oh, that's good that you guys got to be out in, in about and about around people. I hope you know, everybody was still safe and, and feeling, feeling comfortable. Cause I, I have a feeling we're about to move into that, that phase now of being back out. And I'm, I'm really anxious to see how that's gonna go. Um, the awkward phase of the yeah. pandemic. Well, I, I can. I'm.
2: i I'm. I'm on my third project during the pandemic now, oh. and so I can. I can give you a heads up. It's. <laughs> it's actually extraordinary how exhausting human interaction is. <laughs> like, like I did a film recently in London, where we had hundreds of extras mm-hmm. um, and we had to rehearse. And, you know, just that interaction with humanity after you've been in your house for a year. You, you know, people just needed to go home and have like, a nap. Um, <laughs> from from just being around people. It's, yeah. it's quite exhausting, you know. Yeah,
1: no, yeah. I, I, I feel that. Um, But anyways, David, thank you so much for being here. I I don't know if we forgot to thank you at the top of it, but welcome to Deadline's (laughs) New Hollywood Podcast. Thank you. Very excited to have you. I um, have my own personal reasons, but obviously like you've been and done some amazing things, uh, uh, your work, and we're here to talk about your your first directorial feature, The Waterman. But before we get to that, um, so we like to get like people's backstories. I feel like everybody yeah. has a really amazing journey that, and a story to tell about how they ended up where they are in this business, in this crazy business. So for, for you, when, when did you realize that you wanted to be your performer?
2: Um, it came a bit later for me than it than it does for some people who who you know a lot of people it's when they were a kid uh, very young and they watched movies and the, you know because you know you and I Amanda share uh, you know having Nigerian parents uh, in terms <laughs> of our, our heritage you know uh, <laughs> becoming an actor is just like not one of the top, top million professions.
1: <laughs> um, <laughs>
2: That, not, that, that, they're that.
1: doctor, lawyer, engineer. And doctor,
2: lawyer, it's, engineer. It's the
0: same for the Filipinos. It's the same <laughs> thing.
2: It's, it's <laughs> thing. It's an immigrant yes, thing. It's an and, and and what you just said there, Amanda, that was exactly the three. You know, uh, a lawyer, doctor, engineer. My 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 parents had three sons, and I was the one who was um, gifted the uh, thought of becoming a, a lawyer. Um, and I thought that's that's what I was gonna do. You know, but. I should have known better because I I was more interested in the fact that Blair Underwood was acting a lawyer in the the show (laughs) LA Law than being an actual lawyer. Um, And, um, you know, know, I did youth theater productions. Um, I actually got um, a really great role at a youth theater at the National Theater in the UK. And I didn't, you know, I, I, we had lived in Nigeria. I was born in the UK, but we lived in Nigeria from the age of six, for me, till the age of 13. And then we moved back to the UK. And I was I was really quite a, a shy kid. Um, I actually fell in love with my pastor's daughter, who... Um, uh, could, didn't even know, know I existed. Um, you know, I, I just, I just sort of admired her from the back of the church as she worked the overhead projector. And then one day she uh, invited me on what I thought was a date, but it was actually um, to go and join a youth theatre at the National Theatre. I didn't even know what the National Theatre was. Um, and so, you know, I. Um, I kept going because I really liked her. And then I just started to fall in love with this notion of, of being an actor. And, and actually, even before then, what happened is there was one day, these three boys were being groomed to be the lead in this show. And all of them were late to the rehearsal. They were stuck on trains because there was a, a train strike. And the, the director said, uh, you come up and just, just read in the lines. And I guess I just did the lines in the way I pictured I would do it and the room went completely silent. I thought I'd completely bombed it. And then within a week I was cast in the lead of this show. And so my very first role was on one of the stages at the National Theatre and I got these great reviews and I was only 15 and I thought, whoa, this, wow. this is something I really like doing. I ended up taking theatre uh, um, in, high, in high school. Um, and then I had a teacher who just really encouraged me and said, I think this is something you can do for a living. She helps me apply to drama school. I, my parents were still like really anti the idea of anything art, uh, arts, but I got a scholarship to go to the London Academy of Music and Dramatic Arts. And mm-hmm. even though my dad couldn't understand acting, he could oh, understand yeah. scholarship. <laughs> <laughs> so so, uh, so that that's what swung it and I went to Uh, Lambda for three years, and then uh, it it sort of went from there.
1: Yeah. So wait, what was it? When was the changing point for you when it came to your parents? Like, when did they become excited about
2: what you do? Um, About three years after leaving drama school, I was so blessed, so, so blessed to play Henry VI at the Royal Shakespeare Company. Mm -hmm. And my dad was the kind of person, if you give him a, a warm room with a comfy seat, um and it's dark within about a minute and a half he will be asleep so (laughs) so so taking him to the theater was just always a disaster yeah um and i remember him coming to my graduation show and both my mom and dad wore their traditional nigerian clothes which was Mm. sparkling in the dark and it was my, my, my graduation presentation. And I walk on stage and there are two people in very bright clothes leaning on each other asleep. Um, and of, course, of course, those are my parents. And, and, and literally the theater lights are sort of catching on the clothes. So it's like everyone, you know, they are glowing in their slumber. Um, so, you know, when I got Henry VI, it was Henry VI parts one, two, and three. And on a Saturday, we would perform all three. Oh, wow. In, in the same day, we would start at 10.30 in the morning and then finish at 10.30 at night. And of course I thought, well, this is going to be catastrophic for my dad. Um, you, you know, But I will say he sat through 12 hours of Shakespeare, was awake the whole time. Wow. And, and came up to me at the, the, the stage door afterwards and he said to me, I cannot believe they allowed a black man to play the king of England and it is my son. Oh my God. And that was the day beyond which he became uh, my number one fan. Oh, oh that's such a good story.
0: You know,
1: I've told that every,
2: plenty of times.
1: Everything you were saying, I had it, the picture in my head. It, it is such a big deal when it when especially African, when they stay up through something. Oh yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. It yeah is that's a
2: massive sacrifice.
1: <laughs> so oh my gosh, I love, love, love that story. Um, so, so for you though, I mean, you, 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 you grew up in, you, you, you sort of grew up in Nigeria and in, 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 in London and, and everything. So how has your, your sort of your own identity and your upbringing influenced your, your career path so far or thus far?
2: It has enormously, uh, you know, in the sense that it was very, um, I feel very, very fortunate that for formative years of my life i lived in a country and in a society where i wasn't a minority Mm. um, because it did something to my perception of myself and what was possible for me you know when you live in countries where you're a minority where racism is prevalent where marginalization is prevalent where not every opportunity on offer in that society is yours for the taking whether literally or even psychologically, just in terms of your perspective, it really affects how you get out of bed every day, how you uh, perceive where your glass ceiling is, what you, you can achieve. And because from the age of six to 13, I lived in a society where every opportunity on offer was mine for the taking, it was just something that got ingrained in me. And so even when we moved back to the UK, and then when I eventually moved to the U.S. with my family, for some reason, I never went back to a minority mentality. It's, it's what I call the Sydney Poitier syndrome. You know, you, I often look at Sydney Poitier and just think, how did he achieve what he achieved in that time he achieved it? I mean, even now what he achieved is tough to achieve. And I think it's because he also grew up in a society in a, you know, um, in, the, in the Caribbean where he was not a minority. And so he took that mindset into America and said, "I know who I am. Give me what is due to me, and if you don't, I'm gonna pursue it anyway." Mm-hmm. And and that has been something that has sort of really stood me in, in good stead. Doesn't mean I haven't faced challenges. Doesn't mean that there haven't been glass ceilings I've had to sort of try and bust my way through. But I've never let it influence how I perceive myself.
0: Well, mm-hmm.
2: yeah. uh, that's yeah. I think
0: that's that's just amazing about you know. Cause you know, being raised here and like me being raised, uh, me and man actually are both from Texas right. and, uh, and um, being raised in a majority whites, you know, space mm-hmm. being the only, like I was like one of like three Filipinos at my high school, which was like, my senior class was like 800 people. So wow. uh, 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 and then the, it's, it's what you just said, I was like, oh, man, I wish I could Feel yeah that, you know it got me
1: thinking about that too because I was like I think I, I think we do limit ourselves based on obviously our our surroundings and that's and that's very, very dangerous. And I'm wondering if there's a way, you know, especially people that grow up here, is there a way to sort of co- combat that like i it's it's just yeah. really hard to think about, even like for us getting into this business, getting into entertainment, it was my parents weren't on board with it too, and part part of it the reason is there's not that many people that look like me mm-hmm. that do this business. So it's, you know, we, we limit ourselves or, you know. Yeah. And it's also that whole thing of, uh, we have to
0: be excellent in order to succeed. And if we are anything below, then we, you know, it's like you lose your chance. It's like, which is like so heartbreaking to me, but I feel like we're seeing it, we're, we're seeing it change now yeah. you know, this younger generation is like they're not having it like they're just like we're going to do what we want we don't care what you say um but yeah it, it, it's just so interesting to to hear you say that because we wake up like i remember when we had don porter on for for uh, for uh, good trouble she was mm. she was saying that we wake up every day or you know as a black woman she wakes up you know what what um, what Black tax or what tax do I have to pay today? What do I have to fight today? What battle do I have to fight today? Mm-hmm. And to yeah. not have that, or like, just to like, you know, like for instance, like when I saw Raya on Disney or, you know, that, mm-hmm. that mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and, and, and it's, it's all Southeast Asian. And I was like, oh, wow, this is amazing. You know, seeing nuances of the Filipino culture, Thai culture.
2: And I was like, is this how white people feel every time they see a right. movie? Right. <laughs> Well, well, that's exactly, you know, what you just said there before, Amanda, as well, in terms of how does one get that as yeah. someone growing up as a minority in, in a society, that's why I take so seriously this industry, because what you just said there is about Raya, that is one of the ways we feel seen, Yeah, is when the culture around you shows that your perspective not only matters but is allowed to be central because if you're one of three of what you are deemed to be in a class of 800 you feel like you are on the margins you feel like you are peripheral you do not feel central to that world And if everything around you, culture-wise, politics, sport, whatever it is, if every facet of life is reaffirming that to you, it is almost impossible to fight through those perceptions that feel like realities because of what you're surrounded by. So that's why for me in the work I do, I'm always looking for ways where people who look like me, my own personal perspective, is central to any any narrative I'm putting out into the world because I'm I'm essentially speaking to my 12 year old self Mm. who when he watched certain things didn't feel central but thankfully the environment I was in made me feel central. Um, And so I understood that there is a conflict between how I feel and what I'm seeing. Um, And and so therefore, how do you put stuff out into the world that not only speaks to people who look like me, but speaks to people who don't about the fact that they are not necessarily the center of the universe. There are other perspectives that are of value and that are informative and nourishing and enriching for them to uh, pay attention to as well.
0: Yeah. Well, speaking to that, you know, moving here stateside and seeing how this industry is and the bias and the unconscious bias, the blatant and subtle racism and microaggressions that the film and TV industry has, you know, did, were you aware, how did you manage your expectations uh, when it came to kind of, I guess, transitioning over from the UK to here?
2: yeah it it, it was definitely challenging because you know um racism marginalization you know having to fight your way through i mean what you said earlier about you know you have to be excellent to succeed a lot of the time you have to be excellent just to survive
1: Mm. you know
2: you're, you're you're almost anomalous if you then go on to succeed um and 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 so you know that was something i definitely felt um, not just in the industry, but in society in the UK. And then it's slightly different in, in America. The thing I like about America is that, you know, the racism in America will come at you head on. You know, like someone will just call you the N-word to your face. It'll just be like, oh, I see where we're going with this. In the <laughs> UK, you know, you'll, you'll, you'll have had crumpets and tea with someone, you'll, you'll go home and then you'll put your hand on your back and you'll be like, why am I bleeding? And you'd be like, oh, that thing they said, was that? Yeah. You know what? Oh. You know That's how racism works in the UK. It goes through this filter of politeness and class. Mm-hmm. And the class element is the real killer because Everyone buys into it. Oh, I'm working class, I'm middle class, I'm upper class. And then you wear it as a badge of honor. But what it's actually doing is it's compartmentalizing people within that society and telling them do not deviate from that box. You know, class in America is different. It's a, it's about money. And, and at the end of the day, if you are making people money or if, if you are, are, are doing something or an, are an individual who can bring about wealth you can find a way through um and obviously that's not ideal but there's a path right is, is I guess what I'm, I'm saying so I would describe mm-hmm. the, the 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 American film industry as can do and the British film industry certainly historically as can don't Um, And, you know, I'd much rather be in in can-do, and the can-do comes from FOMO, you know, fear of missing out. Everyone will meet you, everyone will consider you, but at the end of the day, the biases that exist within Hollywood mean that there is still this thing that also exists within the British system, which is that people are essentially hiring their friends, people who look like them, because they love themselves and they want to perpetuate the fact that they are important. And all I'm asking for in the work I do is that, okay, allow people who look like me and other people from all sorts of walks of life to be in positions of power so that they also can employ their biases. And by osmosis, we have more of of a, you know, a representation of, of, of humanity. And so that I think is something that, as you guys said, is getting better. I think there have been these moments, these big moments, You know, one of which I was unexpectedly part of, you know, Oscar mm-hmm. So White um, being mm-hmm. something that, you know, Selma, uh, a film that, that I did playing Dr. King was was one of the touch points for. And, you know, mm-hmm. we've seen movements like Oscar So White or Me Too uh, be opportunities to really hold not only our industry, but society accountable.
1: Yeah. Yeah, hopefully,
2: yes. good I mean, answer.
1: <laughs> hopefully, I mean, I'm, I'm just hoping that, you know, I, I feel like sometimes in this industry, when you take one step forward, it's always two or three steps back. I mean, we saw what happened with the Golden Globes. Uh, this year Mm -hmm. after this whole Oscar so white um, uh, movement. So, I mean, all you could do is sort of, you know, be optimistic and hopeful for the future, but I guess cautiously optimistic (laughs) because-
0: Sometimes this industry makes it hard
1: to be- Right. (laughs) But but, yeah.
2: Yeah, I would take it a step further. I'm not not optimistic and I'm not cautiously optimistic. I am determined to remain vigilant Mm -hmm. um, because we have seen, these moments in the past, um, whereby you know there's the Black Renaissance in the 90s, or there's you know uh, 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 they'll be they they'll always take the opportunity to point at the one you know yeah. which is the which is the exception, not the rule. Right. And uh, the one way to normalize the marginalized, you know, uh, 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 being ever present and not on the fringes. Is, to, is for there to be a genuine redistribution of power. And that yeah. is about ownership. And I think that, you know, the shakeup that the pandemic has brought to the industry, what I'm hoping that content creators recognize is that they have more power than they realize. You know, without us, the studios mm-hmm. will crater. Yeah. Right. To be perfectly frank, they're already doing that. Mm-hmm. And, you yeah. know, streamers have shown that you know, history has shown empires fall. You know, the studios are in the process of a; they are about to become production companies for streamers. Um, mm. You know, that's literally what's about to happen. That's
1: true. Yeah, it's on the. Yeah, it's
2: it's. Yeah. It's, it, it, it's like,
1: like, like there is like a lot of.
0: There's this whole old way of thinking that a lot yep. of. Let's face it. A lot of old white cisgender <laughs> hetero men—they are—they have a like a grip on it, and they refuse to let it go, and kind of won't, you know, allow people to bring them to the present or even into the future. And they, why so
2: should distant. they? When everything yeah. you have grown up has seeing tells you you are top of the apex, you are important, mm, right. you are the king you are valuable you are valued you are desirable everything right. in media in politics in in everywhere you look everything you you <laughs> on every poster on every magazine you are it is a self fulfilling prophecy you are told it by the history you learn by the by by the, the the way your looks are celebrated that this is the way it is so you know you can't blame them yeah, because exactly. there, is, there is a reason why, in the Waterman, even though that 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 script was originally written for a white family, there yeah. is a reason why I have very consciously and intentionally made it a black family because i loved those kind of films growing up but i never mm. saw myself represented in them and i know that the younger equivalent of myself seeing a film like the waterman it shifts your perspective because it's not about race it's about a kid who loves his family and goes on an adventure and he's at the center of the narrative and yeah. if Kids from all of all shades, from all places, get to see themselves represented in that way. You know what you said earlier about must be nice to, to feel <laughs> that that to feel the way you felt all the time right. uh, uh, watching Raya. For them to feel that all the time must be like, yeah, it is nice. It's great. <laughs> it's right. That's why we need to do more of it for ourselves. So it's about ownership in order to be able to put that stuff out in the world.
1: Yes, and let's talk. Let's talk about the Waterman um, yes. a little bit more. So, is that why? Is that why you decided to make this your first director? You wanted to direct this um, film because this is obviously this is your first time in the director's chair. Um, yeah. This is um, 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 Emma, Emma Nettle's script from. It's a was it 2019 Blacklist? Um, from 2015. The, actually, 2015 Black. Blacklist. Yeah, yeah. 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 Um, so it was. I mean, it had it had all the elements that it seems like. Is that why you decided to choose it as your first? Um, and then, how long, how long, how long were you thinking about directing before you started this project?
2: Yeah, it, 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 directing the Waterman came to me very, very much in a se- circuitous uh, route. Um, I, I'm a father of four, four kids. Like I said, I loved those kind of films growing up. Goonies, Stand by Me. Yes, Goonies me. is my favorite. No. <laughs> yeah, just love those from Gremlins. And they were, they were smaller films, a lot of them made by Amblin, that, you know, had adventure, had a a kid's perspective that was, you know, not patronizing the kids, but had both adventure, but a bit of meaning to it as well. I remember having great conversations with my parents after seeing those films. And I just you know, as I became a parent and I didn't have those kind of films to share with my kids. I like watching Marvel movies with them, but to be perfectly honest, there's not much to sort of hold on to after you watch a Marvel movie. It's a bit like a roller coaster ride. You get off, you feel a little bit dizzy and then you go about your day. Um, (laughs) But I I like a movie that sort of sticks with me a little bit more. And so I said to my agency, um, you know, if there is a film like this out there you know I, I, I produce movies as well i just love to 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 make one of those films and it coincided with the waterman coming on the blacklist i met with emma Nidell, talked to her about my passion for these kind of films talked to her about the fact that i'd love to play the father role and that would by osmosis make this a black family and how she felt about that. She loved the idea. And, and so initially I was only going to produce it and be in it. We had a director. Mm-hmm. He, he uh, left the project mm-hmm. and I had always wanted to direct. I'd always treated the wonderful uh, acting jobs I, I, I had um, been getting as my film school, you know, watching directors and, and seeing how they do it. And, you know, mm-hmm. um, Emma and my, my fellow producers, uh, Oprah Winfrey and and Carla Gardini who runs her company and Monica Levinson, they all knew I had this ambition to direct. And it was actually Emma who turned to me when we lost our director and said, I think you should do it, David. And and I, I sort of took a moment to think about that because I hadn't anticipated The Waterman being my directorial debut, but I realized just how passionate I was about seeing this Story getting told, and how much I identified as Ghana, the young kid, as played by mm-hmm. Lonnie Chavis, uh, in terms of the the, the childlike part, side of myself, and how much I identified with Amos, the character I play, the father, you know, the very fallible but loving father that I play, mm-hmm. and so there were just so many things about it that that spoke to me, and so I decided to uh, to jump into the director's chair. Who,
1: who did you model the, the father after?
2: Ooh. Good question, because I wouldn't say he's me necessarily, okay. but where I do really identify with him personally is, you know, anyone who's a parent knows that it is an exercise in failure every day. I mean, you, you <laughs> literally, it is impossible to continuously get that task right. But if you're coming from a place of love, there's a real chance that your children will be whole. Mm-hmm. Um, even even if you're not not getting it perfectly right. But you know, I, I would say that he's he's, for me, less based on any individual. He's more based on the fact that I wanted to show a family who was going through really tough issues, mm-hmm. where there were dysfunctional relationships, But love was central to the motivations for everyone within that family. Mm -hmm. Son to mother, mother to son, husband to wife, wife to husband and parents towards their child and vice versa. Because no family is perfect and You don't have to be perfect in order for love to be central to a family. And I wanted to make a film that any and every family can identify with. And those elements I talk about there, I see in every single family.
0: This episode is brought to you by Lifetime's Robin Roberts Presents Mahalia. From executive producers Robin Roberts and Linda Berman comes the biopic of the legendary Mahalia Jackson, Grammy Award winner Daniel Brooks stars as the trailblazer whose music moved, inspired, and changed people's hearts. Critics have praised Brooks's transformative performance into the Queen of Gospel as thunderingly good. Directed by Kenny Leon and written by Bettina Jillowah and Todd Kreidler, this Lifetime original movie continues to inspire viewers and highlights the ongoing fight for social justice. Robin Roberts presents Mahalia for your Emmy consideration in all categories. Yeah, I, I love how I, I did feel that vibe of Goonies, Stand By Me. <clears throat> um, that Spielbergian era of, like, these films that I think a lot of us grew up with. And, like, like thinking about it now, I'm like, oh, okay, Goonies. There was Goonies. There was, you know, Stand By Me. And then, and I was like, oh, there's never been any, like, literal color in them. Because, <laughs> like, right. the the first time I saw Goonies, I saw that data, King Quan. Kwan.
2: Yeah, yeah. Like, that
0: was pretty much the first time I felt seen. Like I right. was like, wait a second, he, he, he's kind of like me, you know, yeah. I was like, all these, all these white kids are hanging out with this Asian, That's this like right. smart Asian kid. Right. And like, we have stuff like, we're seeing kind of it evolve with like Stranger Things, you know. I, yes. I, I love how yeah. they that, but to see it in Waterman and have, have, have like, see this kid who I actually related to, like, I was just like, oh, he he drew comics. He, he has this like wild imagination and I was like, That was so mean, you know? And just like, even that kind of was just like, you know, again, representation matters. And I know we say that a lot, but it's- It's true. It just
2: does. It it just does.
1: You have to keep saying it, to to be honest. I think, think, you know, we do get tired and it becomes a buzzword, but it's like, it's true. (laughs) And people need to be reminded- It's so true.
2: Yeah, you need to keep saying it and we need to keep seeing it as well. Mm-hmm. You know, and, and for me, it's not just about black and brown kids seeing themselves in a character like Gunner. What's as important is white kids seeing themselves in a kid like yes. Gunnar. Yes. Because I think that's yeah. where empathy can come into a society when you can see yourself in people who don't necessarily look like you who aren't from the same place as you're from that's the thing that breaks down prejudice because prejudice Mm. is rooted in fear fear of the unknown oh you don't look like me you're not from where i'm from Mm, we must be so different that we're maybe we're enemies maybe we're at odds and then worse still if you have parents or a society that then validates that way of thinking it just exacerbates it but you know so often Films are the way that we feel seen and we see other cultures, other people. You know, I've been identifying with white people my entire life just because that's what I see all the time. And then when we tell our stories, a lot of the time, one of the challenges you face is feeling like you need to give all of this backstory and then explain why there's a black family in Oregon. And Like, (laughs) no. No, I'm not explaining any of that. They're just in this place and they're doing human being things in a human being way, in a fantastical journey, come along for the ride. And, yeah. and you know, I'm just so tired of, of, of explaining or apologizing for my existence. Yeah. I'm just not going to do it.
0: Yeah, I think that's, that's, the, th- yeah, that's the thing. It's like we've been raised in this culture where the white protagonist has been the default. Right? It's like, right. we know that story. We know, like, again, going back to Stand By Me, I so related to Vern, the chubby kid who was yes. who, yes. who like, yes. it's like, oh, and it's, now it's like, oh, well, now it's kind of y'all's turn to relate to us. That, yeah. that right. kind
1: of I agree. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, you know, I was watching, I, I was watching um, uh, Daniel Kulu on SNL, I think a couple weeks back and yeah. they did this sketch, him and um, um, Edo, is that her name, Edo? I can't remember the the black, she's Nigerian, she's on SNL. Okay. Edgy. Edgy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Her yeah, name yeah, is, we know, yeah, yeah. But like they did a sketch about like Nigerian parents and like how they like both, <laughs> it was like it was like a it was a Nigerian parent wow. family and a white family, and they were talking about their kids going into the arts. Right. And like <laughs> watching, <laughs> wow. um Daniel and I, her name is I think it's Edo, but watching them, I was dying because I understood exactly. What they, were, what they were talking about. But in my back of my head, I was like, are white people gonna get this? Like, I don't know why I was just so cons- but it's like, I never have- <laughs> uh, I, like you said, I identify, we've all identified with white people our whole lives. Like I we get their jokes too, you know, like, <laughs> so, yeah. so. Now it's time for them to get yeah. old, right? It's it like, so refreshing. It's like a, that's why, yeah, it was so refreshing seeing, like, these two people, like, making these jokes on such a mainstream show. Like, I was, it literally lit me. I was so happy. I, like I said, I was dying of laughter. It just yeah. feels really good to see stuff like that, you know, and hopefully we get yeah. to see, we see more of that. Well, that's what
2: I loved about Minari as well. You mentioned that Mm. already. And and that again, he didn't apologize for, you know, the language, the culture, the American dream, the specificity of it, the cultural specificity of it. You know, and for me personally, it is very, very very um clear to me that the the universal is found in the specific the more specific mm. you make it actually the more people identify with it because you find yourself going oh my gosh my family's weird too
1: yes. your family's weird?
2: <laughs> oh my god you know what i mean it, the the quirkier right. the weirder i mean life is so much stranger than fiction and i think just to unapologetically tell your truth in your storytelling is the key
1: Yes, I yeah. agree. and I think
0: yeah, and it's like with with uh Yajung uh Yeun, who plays the grandmother in Minari, so many people were like, Oh, that's my grandmother, no exactly. matter Asian, black, Latino, white, they're just like, Oh, that's and she didn't even speak English in the the movie.
1: yeah.
0: And that speaks so much. And like, I am ready for her to get her Oscar on April 23rd because (laughs) like, I I balled in that movie. But but David, I want to ask you like this, The the Waterman has a lot to do with kind of folklore and urban legends. Are you a believer or is there like a folklore urban legend from your childhood
2: that you kind of tapped into when you were directing this? Well, gosh, you know, growing up in Nigeria, we are all about, you know. I mean, like, uh, there, there were, there were urban legends, there were myths, there were stories, there are family stories, there are, you know, and there are ceremonies, there are these these masquerades who will be dancing in the street and they go around whipping you if you've been naughty. Yeah. Yeah, uh, (laughs) um, uh, there, There are, you know, you'd read in the newspaper about, you know, this. This witch doctor had given someone a potion because this man was having an affair with a woman and then he got stuck inside her. And this yeah. is like literally in like the New York Times. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> the, our equivalent. You know, so I grew up in a culture whereby all of that was just really present. Yeah. And as a kid, you, you combine that with a kid's imagination. You are believing. Everything, yeah. you, you know? And so it, it really makes for a, a colorful, rich tapestry to live your life within. And so, you know, when you're in the dark, there is no way someone is, is telling you there isn't a dinosaur coming coming for you because you just you have all this imagery in your head of like, I I, I saw it, but I saw it. But, you know? And so for me, The Waterman was very much about that close relationship between reality and fantasy as it pertains to a child's existence. Mm-hmm. And when you then combine some of the tougher things in life when you are, your imagination is all over the place, it explodes. Um, you know, and that's why we do a lot of juxtaposing the reality as parents and grown-ups see it and the reality as a kid sees it. So, you know, uh, um, without giving too many spoilers, there are things that that Gunnar sees in the forest, and then get explained as something completely different than what he saw. But they were real for him, and they're right. completely real for someone else. And that is very much the child. You know, that's that's one of the gifts of being a child, and it's one of the things we lose as we get older. Is is you know, there is something to be said for having a wide-eyed, imaginative perspective when you're dealing with trauma when you're dealing with pain we lose so much of that as we get older and that's why you know there's that there's that example you know babies when they fall over they don't break bones because they just go with it when you're older you start to get really rigid and you fall in the same way you break bones it's because you know you know too much as you get older and that's you know, Gunner is at this tender age. It's a rights to passage movie. So he's at 11 and he's just going from that place where imagination is everything and reality is just waiting around the corner.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, that's what I appreciated about the movie because, again, no spoilers, but, you know, the, the mo- there's, you know, kind of a moment where I'm just like, oh, I know that in this situation, as an adult, I would be all, this is kind of silly. Right, but then you're right, like, right. But then you're just like, oh, wh- why not just embrace it? You know, it's like I think, especially in the film industry, when it comes to storytelling or film and TV, when people are like, oh, oh that's silly, or that will never happen, and I'm like, right. oh, you'll say that about kind of this indie movie, but you won't say anything about this Marvel movie, which is all about, you know, make believe. Yeah, yeah, I, yeah I, I love how you said that. It's kind of like lighten up <laughs> in this interesting way. It's like, it's like don't don't be so like. You know judgy and be all this is a fantasy
2: go with well, it et e. is the perfect example to me when you think back to et you know that film starts with a family where the father has just left the mother is looking down the barrel of being a single parent and these kids are like where's dad who's this lady he's gone off to be with like real like really intense family issues and then that same night, they find an alien in the shed. Right. <laughs> what the heck? <laughs> Do you know what I mean? But, but there is something about it. It's allegorical of, of the fact that you can be dealing with the realest of the real one moment. And then you look up and it's like, whoa, what's happening over there? And that's the joy of being a kid. Yeah, You know, and mm. that's also yeah. the joy of storytelling, that you can use something like The Waterman and like adventure and like fantasy to really bring closer the reality of situations we face every day. Yeah. Yeah. Okay.
1: So this movie comes out um, May 7th. Yeah. Right? Yes. Yeah, okay. May so um what is next for you David what can you what can you tell us are you doing more directing projects I know you you're, you're said you're filming um something right now yeah.
2: yeah yeah it's been it's been beautifully busy um yeah as you say the waterman comes out May, May 7th it's in theaters which is wonderful because you know we made the film before the pandemic we had to do the post. During the pandemic, um, which is really, really tough, but you know we're prayerful that people will see it in the environment. It was designed to be seen before it then goes on to uh, VOD eventually. So that, that I couldn't be more excited about if I tried. But yeah, you know I have um, uh, Peter Rabbit 2 coming out um, mm-hmm. soon after that. in June, I loved doing that film. I loved um, the first one. And actually, working with Will Gluck was amazing because I worked with him just before I went on to direct the, the Waterman, and, and that was really instructive uh, for me. Um, you know, I also during the pandemic I shot a film called Solitary uh, with Nate Parker, and uh, that one's about um, a guy who has been in solitary confinement for seven years, and then comes out and is trying to rebuild his life with his his son and fiance, and, and is really struggling to discern what is real and what is imagined because that solitary confinement really messes with your with your head, your your, your yeah. mental state. Um, and that's a film I'm, I'm really, really proud of. I also pr- uh, produced it along with Nate and uh, Aaron Gilbert and, and the guys at Bronze Studios. Um, and then I did uh, this uh, murder mystery film. It's untitled at the moment for uh, Fox Searchlight. Oh, it's Searchlight now, not even Fox Searchlight. Yes. Um, and I play a flamboyant playwright in the '50s, and that one I loved doing. Oh, that. I'm
1: excited! Yeah, <laughs> I'm excited yeah. to
2: see
1: that one.
2: Yeah, Ooh. yeah. Oh, yeah, and great cast: Saoirse Ronan, Sam yeah. Rockwell. Uh, you know, I mean, just Adrian Brody, Ruth yeah. Wilson.
0: Just and, uh, oh Mar- my Rockwell. God, that's a cast! That's a, a cast.
1: <laughs> yeah. yeah,
2: yeah, it's really well. great. And I and I'm here in Bristol doing a, a limited series for HBO and the BBC with Gugu. About to right now, and that. Oh my God, her. love her! Yeah, amazing. You guys, you guys, didn't
1: you guys all come up? You, you came? Didn't you guys come or went to school together? Are or or you and Gugu? Are you guys? Yeah. Well, we
2: we um uh, we were we were born in the same hospital, okay. um, in in Oxford. What? You know, quite a few <laughs> years apart. Well, yeah, you know, a couple years apart. Um, but uh, yeah, you know, obviously uh, coming up in the in the British scene. I've known Gugu for about ten years. We did a film called Cloverfield Paradox together. Okay a film I produced that was also in called Come Away, she was in, um, and uh, she actually was even in a film that my wife directed a short film called um, uh, 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 After the Storm and she played my my middle son's uh, mother in that film. Um, So yeah, I know her really well.
1: Yeah, (laughs) that's cool. Yeah, I'm looking forward forward to seeing all of those. Um, And did you say you're gonna direct more or, or? I want to,
2: I really, really want to, but you know, I have this wonderful day job of being an actor, which I really love doing. And when you direct, you know, it better be something you love because you're gonna watch that film hundreds of times. And I mean, literally. (laughs) Um, And and also it takes about a year and a half, two years of your life. And that's a lot of movies for me that means I can't do. So I'm waiting for that thing that really Makes it worth pay- paying that price, but I loved the experience of directing, uh, and I just love storytelling. And I really admire actors like George Clooney, like Nate Parker, like Joel Edgerton, like uh, Mel Gibson, who you know, like Regina, Regina King, who uh, are directing as well as acting. Clint Eastwood being the the, yeah. the, the big daddy of, of of all of those guys. I just I just love the idea of having a career where I can continue to do that.
1: Yeah, you mentioned George Clooney. I was was gonna say, I love that, uh, the Midnight Sky movie. Oh my gosh. Mm, thank you. Yeah, it was so good. So we like to wrap up our our interview with a a segment we call the facts or the FAQs. Just a fun, random question segment, a fun way to wrap up the session. So your first question is, what was your favorite toy as a child?
2: Oh, I had I had an action man, um, a GI Joe. Uh, uh, mm. thing that, that was my that was my favorite, and uh, you know I could never get my hair to be bristly like him. See how they do us? <laughs> there was, a right. was never a black one. There was never a black one. So <laughs> I was constantly going, why doesn't my hair do that do that thing? I had the same thing with the Fonz in Happy Days. I was like, why doesn't the <laughs> my hair, yeah. you know, the way it does for Henry Winkler?
1: Yeah, <laughs> they do us. We've got to change this. Exactly, representation matters. We're it gonna does. keep saying yes. it.
0: <laughs> um, Okay, so what was the last movie you saw in a movie theater?
2: Oh, gosh. The
1: last movie I saw in a, in a theater with an audience, <laughs> mind you. That... I honestly don't even remember mine. How
2: depressing is this? that I
1: don't even okay.
2: know. It, it can't be. It can't be. What's that? Why am I blanking on the name? But the uh, Bradley Cooper, Lady Gaga film.
1: Oh, Oh, born. a star! A star is born. Can't
2: be a star is born.
1: No, that was. It can be.
2: That was too old. No, that's no. I remember. Awesome. I remember. It was Sonic the Hedgehog.
1: Uh, <laughs> oh. Stop. It was that's Sonic the Hedgehog. Yeah, that makes sense. I, I, I love. About, yeah, yeah. That was like
0: right when, just before yeah, our lives. Before. Yeah, like, yeah, like, yeah. yeah,
1: yeah, yeah. I yeah, just yeah. watched. The wait, wait, you,
0: Amanda, you don't remember yours? i have no idea
1: i don't i might not because when did lock when did the lockdown happen? in april right okay i had have to have march because
0: the i remember march. it was march
1: 13th march was yeah. here in la yeah i don't remember mine
0: was, it was mine was a pro like mine was mulan which was it was the oh premiere, yeah i remember which it, was
1: the premiere right. yeah right. Yeah. and
0: i re- i remember the after party people were like like people were already getting a little bit like oh really and like yeah like oh, they God. were they were serving us we couldn't serve ourselves and i remember one, one of my friends took a cookie off a tray and they were like oh now we're gonna have to throw that whole tray what? out because you, wow. you... <laughs>
1: wow. that's wow. gonna be us soon You're Telling me that <laughs> okay <laughs> okay what is the funnest way you have ever broken the law funniest <laughs> <laughs> funniest. funniest way the funniest the
2: fun- sorry way- oh the funniest way yeah ever- the funniest yeah 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 oh gosh i'm such a good boy oh my <laughs> goodness <laughs> the funniest way i've ever you know what it's it's literally it, it, can i say am i gonna get arrested if i admit this like no funniest- you're this is the safe funniest way yeah, we'll funniest share ours <laughs> Funniest way, I probably ran a, a light, a red light or two when I, you know. Oh my God, my, David, we're going to. When I got you. my new Tesla, but it was a Tesla, you guys. It was a Tesla. <laughs> you <Why laughs> cannot get a new Tesla and be it thinking about the lights. <laughs> <laughs> you know, and it was just the first time I drove it. Honestly, <laughs> officer, you can't come <laughs> to me now. It was a new Tesla. It was. A, <laughs> yeah, it's no. That's.
0: You're, 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 wait, Amanda,
2: do you have oh,
1: one? I don't know. I'm trying to think of ways that I, ha- I have broken the law and trying to see which one would be the funniest. <laughs> <You're> <laughs> be so you make me like confess <laughs> a thing and now you're gonna say, you know what? I, <laughs>
2: I've never <laughs> broken no, the law. I, I think, I, I'm just no, I think, oh, hey, no, I should sure.
1: admit that I have broken the law a couple of times. I know that for sure. I'm just trying to think of the, funny, the funniest one, but I can't think of one. Well, there has
0: been. There has been multiple times when I have gone to the grocery store or a Target and realized I opened the bag and I'm all, wait, did I pay for this? Look at the receipt and I did not Does that count? That's, that's kind not of really, like shoplifting I adjacent. Mean, that's a, that, shoplifting you know, a that's
1: unintentional though. You didn't, you didn't intentionally take an item. Maybe they forgot. I can tell it. it's burning
2: on your conscience and that's how you know you should have <laughs> okay. taken it back. You did wrong. <laughs> I think you should go back to that store like now. Right? Get on a mask
1: and go and pay. <laughs> go to over okay, I mean, you know, that item.
0: I feel I, <laughs> I accidentally uh, uh, put this uh, face mask. It was like it was kind of one of those gel face masks.
2: <laughs> <laughs> so I, okay. like I have I so much Christian it. guilt about the red light right now. I've, you I've guys definitely intentionally
1: run red lights before, especially at night. No, me too. take forever and i'm but there's no one there yeah when there's no one there i'll I'll run i've run like yeah i should make that
2: clarification i should make that it was there's no one there ventura is very quiet at (laughs) night
1: sometimes
2: (laughs) and you know come on guys you know do you do
0: do you (laughs) do the thing when you're like when you're driving and you see it turning yellow but you kind of just avoid seeing it turn red. And you're just like, oh, I'm fine. <laughs> like, that's, you only think, you. Yeah. that's
1: only that you. That's only you, <laughs> <laughs> you should feel terrible. He's like, close my eyes, <laughs> I can do it. <laughs> I'm,
0: just, I'm just like, oh, oh it's, it's like, oh, it's yellow, it's yellow, yellow, but yeah, that's <laughs> me.
2: <laughs> well, you, this is your own internal monologue we're <laughs> hearing right now. It's really interesting.
0: Yeah, I, I, I'm total try. I steal face mask from Target and I run red lights.
1: <laughs> Dino, go go. You guys, ask for, go ask for your uh, it, do your Hail Marys and a and and. <laughs> I
0: wanna I wanna I wanna pray. I mean, I'm like hello Filipino Christian or Catholic guilt. Like it's like mourning the religion rather than celebrating. <laughs> <That's>
2: <laughs> like so I feel guilty.
0: <laughs> like hardcore, like oh, Filipino. Man. Like I remember there were days when my mom would be all, y'all get down here. We're gonna pray the rosary for an hour and I'll be all, oh God, I have homework. (laughs) And she's like, I don't care. (laughs) She's like, I don't care. You're here. Okay, so our our next question. Okay, here, uh, uh, another hypothetical. You are stranded on a desert island, a deserted Mm -hmm. island, and you have everything you need to survive. You have a nice house, entertainment, medical care, clothes, running water, water, reliable electricity, everything. The Mm -hmm. only thing is, you have to choose one chain restaurant to provide your food for the rest of your life. What would it be? (laughs)
2: Spago.
1: Oh, really?
2: what? That's (laughs) fancy. Of course (laughs) it's fancy. (laughs) I'm (laughs) snobbish. Didn't you watch the Barafters last night? (laughs) What did you think I was going to say? In and out? Yeah, well, there you go. That's yes. what I would say.
1: No, no, no. You're no, gonna no. say in and out. No, I wouldn't Yo, say it. and You guys
2: need to listen to Ya Jung Yun. This is like the thing. Right? I am snobbish Fargo okay, no, on tap. Thank okay, that's you. That's good. That's good.
1: On tap. I like that.
0: That's <laughs> that's good. I, I actually like that. You 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 were honest, and I appreciate it. I would actually choose. Cheesecake could,
1: Factory. If, if we're choosing yeah, no, empty bad. restaurants, I would choose Ocean Prime, even though like Ocean it's it's Ocean kind of yeah yeah I, yeah, I, I, yeah. It's kind of like in the mid. But Ocean Prime has really good lobster and steak. Just oh, there you go. There you go. <laughs> yeah, okay. I'm I guess no I'm brown. the only I like trash. I'm I,
0: I, I I'm the trash here. I'm all I
1: want. <laughs> Cheesecake Factory. <laughs> I would take a, that bread, I could live off of that 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 brown bread though. Yeah, yeah. same here. Um, And plus, the Cheesecake Factory menu is like a yearbook. It's like... (laughs) It is, they have a lot. Okay, would you rather never have to clean a bathroom again or never have to do the dishes again?
2: Ooh, never have to. Never have to do the dishes again. I think the dishes, you know, like like when you have a dried up egg whisk to deal with. (laughs) Or, or, you know, someone's, you know, done oatmeal and just left it there.
1: That's, that's quite yeah.
2: different than a tub. Very
1: annoying, yeah. It's very, yeah. very
2: annoying. There, More multifaceted, there, I think, issues yeah. than a barber. Yeah.
1: Yeah,
0: yeah I, I like that because there is something satisfying about, you know, after like crossing your arms and looking at a clean bathroom after you did, there's like something very satisfying about that not for
2: amanda, <laughs> not amanda. <laughs> not <to you. laughs>
1: I, I can't i hate cleaning toilets that's 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 the one thing i would right I would, if i didn't have to clean the toilets and i would say bath or dishes but i can't i hate cleaning toilets oh yeah. really oh well
2: yeah.
1: I'm, so, no. <laughs> <laughs> I'm so sorry so, so I, now can't, we I can't that.
2: help we're you there i can't about... help you there amanda it's just a <laughs> <I> mean, fact <laughs> of life it's yeah, be right.
1: i mean i mean hopefully yeah we're we're we cleaning toilets one day like shoot maybe i should <laughs> it's it's difficult
2: <laughs> we're learning a lot. These about... These are very first world problems, Right, <laughs> right. Let's, <it laughs> Let's is. just clarify this. It you is saying it's difficult? World. I felt we were going down a road where <laughs> yeah. we would be like, these people need to go and live some life. Right. Go, to go, go back, back to back.
1: Live in the village. <laughs> <They'll> show- <laughs> they need to go back oh, to village also- somewhere. They'll show you how to clean up. Also, we <laughs> the bathroom looks like. Oh. <laughs> oh god. <laughs> You're right. Let me oh, take god, that we're back. We're like. We're, in, we're learning
0: yeah. a lot about each other here, and I don't yeah, know if it's good it's or bad. Very, very but <laughs> <laughs> okay, uh, so our last question uh, is: Is there an underrepresented voice in the industry, whether it's an actor, writer, or producer, creator, that is not mainstream or doesn't have enough shine on them uh, that you think people need to know about, and you want to give a shout out to? Multiple answers are accepted. You know, feel free.
2: Yeah. Wow. I th- there's a, a Mel is an actor who I just think is so powerful, so talented, multi-talented. That that guy to me, he should be up there with the John Boyega's and the Daniel Careers. Um, you know, he he is someone I just think is a, a fantastic talent. Um, I'm cheating here because. Um, he is well known, and he—I wouldn't say he's mainstream, but I just think Jeffrey Wright is one of the best living. No, actors. you're right. You know, <laughs> and and, and I, I just, for me, I I, I I don't I don't I don't know. I I just he he's look. I'm sure he feels he's doing fine. I just can't get enough of Jeffrey Wright. No, you know? I
1: agree. He, yeah,
2: he is he is yeah. a stupendous talent,
1: and I love him on Twitter too. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh well, I'm
2: not on Twitter. I didn't have yeah, the no, whole Twitter he, thing. Yeah, he
1: has he has a opinion and he is not afraid to, to say it. And I love yeah. it. Yeah. I, wow. I totally
0: agree it's like it's like he hasn't he's been around like he's been doing amazing things from his the beginning of his career like when I saw him in Angels in America uh, you know uh, that that performance oh I mean like, Basquiat
2: and, yeah. Yeah. and like he doesn't know how to give a bad performance it yeah. is ridiculous how yeah, talented bad. he is
0: yeah and just like his versatility it's like seeing him in Hunger Games and him just like turning around and doing something like, you know, Westworld. It's just like, what is this man? Where, where did he come from? And why aren't we not loving him more? That
2: kind of yeah. thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. No, I, I, I think and, um, he's, he's brilliant. But a male, I think, is a, a special talent.
1: I think we'll see more of Amel soon. I know he's directing something. So I think we're going to yeah. see. Him. Yeah, yeah, he's, yeah. He's directed
2: a film called Boxing Day. Okay. So uh, yeah. <laughs>
1: yeah,
2: looking forward to that.
1: <laughs> David, well, thank, David
0: you. thank you. David, thank you. Sorry, Amanda, I was interrupting. No,
1: it's OK. <laughs> <laughs> I, no, I was just saying thank you for being here. Um, This was an amazing yeah. conversation. Um, yes, I'm yes. I very happy to have you on. And congrats. To your first to completing your first film, and I hope that we get to see some more from you in the future.
2: Thank you. Thank yes. you. Thank you. Well, I, this has been so much more fun than I should be able to have at <laughs> like 10 30 at night in the UK. <laughs> <laughs> um, oh yeah,
0: and thank you for th- thank you for staying up late for us yeah. for, for, for our little
2: podcast. No, no, no. This was this was so much fun. And uh yeah, you know, we 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 covered everything. So we solved the world. I can now sleep well.
0: We solved. Yeah. And it. we 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 admitted to breaking the law. Well, I did more than anyone else. In story,
1: you obviously. you
2: are a full-on criminal after this. You're, you're stealing masks. <laughs> yeah. You you I mean like food, running red uh, lights, running <laughs> red, <laughs> red, Ma- red yeah. lights and you didn't say enough Hail Marys. Your family
0: Yes, I mean, and you didn't
1: <laughs> <listen> to this. <laughs> and then, you are a mess. My mom's
0: going to my mom is going to call me after this episode airs and I'm like, "Oh, you need to
2: come home now, get, get out of LA. Yeah,
1: you, yeah. You're get coming cleansed. home
2: living with us. Everyone else would get cleansed. You need to be exorcised.
1: <laughs> yes.
0: <laughs> Target, Target, I am sorry. I will. i, don't, I don't <laughs> go back to Target. David O'Yellow will told me to return this mask that I took.
1: <laughs> oh <laughs> I my gosh! Anyway, thank you again so much. This is this has been uh, so fun. Like I'm actually yes, fun.
0: So much.
1: <laughs> <laughs> thank you so much, David. Thank you, David. thank you, you guys. We'll
2: speak soon.